You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. You know, you think back 20 years or so, there was a lot, a lot going on. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years ago to when, um, you know, we had the opportunity to, to purchase the Miss Portland Diner from the city. And it was really when, you know, 10 years ago was really when uh, the food scene was really was taking hold. And uh, what's funny is that the same year that the diner, um, that we established the, the new Miss Portland Diner, um, was the first year of harvest on the harbor. It's funny you're mentioning Arlington too because Roberto Foleo, who's um, uh, an international ballet dancer that will be uh, in the panel discussion in the afternoon along with Dave Cohen's, was mentioning Arnica as one of the, whether it's in gel or in its homeopathic form, yep. as a, a natural go-to remedy yep. uh, to prepare and, and for those types of injuries. Autumn is a time for gathering what we have grown, for nourishing ourselves in preparation for the winter ahead. Today we speak with guests who are offering events during which we can nourish ourselves. Stephanie Manning is the new co-owner of Harvest on the Harbor, a multi-day food and drink event being held here in Portland. Alban Maino and Dr. Sarah Kotzer will be discussing the upcoming Symposium on Integrative Health in Sports Practice, being presented by the Center for Health Leadership. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. My next guest is an individual who is helping make new and exciting things happen in the city of Portland. Um, today, I have Stephanie Manning here with me, who, along with Gabrielle Garofalo, is one of the new producers of Harvest on the Harbor. Their partnership began over 20 years ago when they started working together at Newsweek magazine in New York City. Since then, they have remained business colleagues and friends with a passion for marketing events and all things culinary. In 2010, when working together on a multi-day event for O, the Oprah magazine, they decided to put their talents and resources together to create their own business. In 2016, that was realized with the purchase of Harvest on the Harbor from the Greater Portland Convention and Visitors Bureau, who created the event in 2008. They are honored to have the opportunity to take this brand to the next level. Their vision for Harvest on the Harbor goes well beyond a multi-day food and drink festival. Their mission is to use this event to celebrate everything about the food and drink culture in Maine and to have a lasting and residual impact on the Maine food economy. Thanks so much for coming in here today, Stephanie. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It's really exciting to be um, watching you take something that has been successful and already bringing people to the city of Portland for really enjoying what Maine has to offer, but taking it into a different direction and maybe to a whole new level. 
Um, we hope to do both of those things. We, uh, you know, I was presented with the opportunity, uh, you know, w- when I had kind of heard through the grapevine that the Convention and Visitors Bureau was looking to get out of the events business, which is not really their primary business. And, uh, you know, considering my background and really passion for bringing people together in an experiential, um, in an experiential way, I, uh, it was just one of those opportunities where I was like, this sounds like it, it could be the thing for me. So I just kind of jumped at it. Um, I was fortunate enough that my, uh, my friend and business colleague, Gabrielle, wanted, wanted to do it with me. Um, you know, together we've got years and years of experience producing multi-day national scale um, events. And we really feel like we can bring that expertise to bear um, for the city of Portland, which we're really, really excited about. You currently live in Cape Elizabeth with your husband, who grew up on Munjoy Hill and actually is the owner of the Miss Portland Diner. Correct. So um, my husband is a is a Mainer through and through. Um, the first time I visited Maine in, oh yeah, the early 90s, um, I knew this was a place that eventually I wanted to, to come and live and, and raise a family and uh, was thrilled to have the opportunity to do that. The diner really was the thing that kind of propelled us um, to moving our family here from New Jersey. Um, so we did that in 2013. And, uh, you know, in addition to the diner, um, I'm the VP of marketing and circulation at the Portland Press Herald, which is, you know, a, a big job. Um, we're doing really fascinating things there. Our business has changed a lot in the last three years. And then this opportunity crept up and, you know, here I am producing a four-day culinary experience, about 12 events uh, that are going to really kind of touch on all of the key uh, pieces of what makes the food and, and drink culture here what it is. Well, tell me what it is about Maine that got you so excited, and maybe about Maine <clears throat> food specifically. Right. So, I'm, you know, when I think back to the first time I was here, I mean, I remember walking around the old port and just being so fascinated with the development that was going on. Because, you know, you think back 20 years or so, there was a lot, a lot going on. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years ago to when, um, you know, we had the opportunity to, to purchase the Miss Portland Diner from the city. And it was really when, you know, th- 10 years ago is really when uh, the food scene was really was taking hold. And uh, what's funny is that the same year that the diner, um, that we established the, the new Miss Portland Diner, um, was the first year of Harvest on the Harbor. And I remember, like, I remember, you know, reading the press herald like my whole my whole world is connected by those three things um you know i remember reading the newspaper and hearing about this multi-day food festival and being like there's just something going on in portland and uh and watching that happen and evolve over the years and being a part of it has been um has been really thrilling so harvest on the harbor um has been around since 2008 and you know, a lot of things change in that period of time, and you have a, a new and different vision for this. What is it that you and Gabrielle Definitely. are hoping to accomplish? Um, so um, the Convention and Visitors Bureau created Harvest on the Harbor as a marketing platform, as a way to um, showcase what was going on in the food culture here to people from away. I mean, that's their job, is to drive tourists to our town and to put people in hotel rooms and to get them into the restaurants and to get them into the retailers. And um, so Harvest did that for for many years. And I think the reason, um, you know, I, I go around town and a lot of people haven't heard of Harvest on the Harbor, which is actually 
pretty amazing considering it's been around for all that time. But when you really think about it, it had been marketed to people from away. It hadn't really been marketed <clears throat> as a community, as an opportunity to bring the community together to celebrate. And for me, that's the missing piece. Um, you know, what we've built here is incredible. Um, you know, there are so many people from so many walks of life and so many different parts of Maine who are working really hard to um, to kind of keep this this food economy growing. And we need a party. We need an opportunity to celebrate um, and to bring all those people together and to bring the community together to support them in, in their efforts. Um, so for us, it's really about highlighting the the kind of key things that make our food economy what it is and just having a really good time doing it. What are the dates for Harvest on the Harbor? Harvest on the Harbor will uh, will take place here in Portland from Thursday, October 20th through Sunday, October 23rd. So tell me what people can expect over that period of time. Sure. So we're producing... Um, I guess it's about 10 uh, custom events um, on our own. And then we're also working with the community to have opportunities to promote other people's events that are going on during the same time, as well as uh, shopping opportunities that'll be going on all over town um, during the same time. So really trying to infiltrate um, Portland and really create uh, you know, a, a lot of ways for people to get involved. Um, you know, our, our uh, schedule of events, everything that we're producing will happen at 58 4th Street, the Portland Company. Um, and we're, we're really excited for, for the opportunity to bring people together. I, I remember over the years seeing sort of the, the big tent peaks for mm -hmm. Harvest on the Harbor, like right on the harbor itself. Mm -hmm. Fifth, so 58 4th Street is not that far away, but it's, it is a slightly different venue. Why did you decide to choose to go there? So um, they actually uh, stopped doing the tents a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think, I think for us, um, you know, 58 4th Street gives us the same square footage um, that a tent would, and it really kind of takes away the weather factor, right? At the end of October, who knows what, what we can expect. So, um, you know, for us, while 58 4th Street is what it still is, we just figured that we would take advantage um, of the big cavernous space that's there. We'll be use, utilizing different parts of the building for different events to change up the, uh, the experience and, and the look and feel of things. Why October? Why was that chosen to be the time when Harvest on the Harbor took so, place? So, um, you know, we, uh, I mean, we're following, we purchased Harvest on the Harbor in February, and um, that just seemed too late to be rethinking the, the time, uh, the timing of the event. It originally was, uh, was put post-Columbus Day, um, to extend the tourism season. You know, again, the CVB, it was a marketing platform and they, they had their reasons for, for picking the timing. Um, that's definitely something that we will think about and consider going into 2017. For us, 16 is about executing with excellence. It's about, um, you know, ch changing the, uh, the way that we talk about Harvest on the Harbor and talk, you know, change the, uh, the the events themselves and really to execute with excellence and to and to prove to the community you know both from the chef standpoint and our sponsor standpoint and also the attendee standpoint that um, you know that that these are going to be fantastic events no matter what time of year they are um, and then going into 2017 we'll we'll rethink the timing probably who are some of the partners that you've been working with um, so uh, the first event that we're going to do is called the Sustainable Seafood Soiree and Supper. 
And we're thrilled to be working in partnership with the Gulf of Maine Research Institute. Uh, the Gulf of Maine Research Institute uh, promotes um, all of the seafood that is that is uh, pervasive here in in Maine, and um, they've got a bunch of partner chefs. So we'll be bringing those chefs together to curate a fantastic past uh, hors d'oeuvre cocktail party and then a plated multi-course sit-down dinner. Um, we've got, uh, we're so fortunate to have Steve and Michelle Corey um, leading the charge on that event. Um, their chef, Kyle Robinson, will be one of the chefs who, uh, who works on the event. We also have Melissa Bouchard from DeMillo's and Andrew Chadwick from In by the Sea, all of whom are culinary partners of GMRI. So we're really psyched about that event. I think um, it'll be a really great way to start four days of, of fantastic food events. So from what I understand, uh, sustainable seafood really is focusing on maybe the underloved species exactly. of fish. Exactly. And trying to get away from species of fish that are, that are overfished and showing people that we can actually make something really great and tasty out of something that we have more of rather exactly. than something we have less of. Exactly. And that's what will be on our menu. And who else? What else do you have going on? So um, so on Friday, um, we're doing, uh, typically at Harvest on the Harbor, there has been a Maine Lobster Chef competition. And we've decided in our first year uh, to take the competition out of play. What we learned from uh, the community is that local chefs don't really like to be pitted up against each other, right? Like we're a community and why should we, why should we, why should we be competing with each other? I mean, obviously the nature of the business is to be competitive, but we don't need to do that in an, in an event format. We decided instead to do a lobster chef celebration. And this working in partnership with the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative uh, will bring together about a dozen chefs to feature 12 very different lobster recipes. It'll be a pretty traditional tasting event where we do uh, pairings of, with beverages of all sorts. The timing's happy hour on Friday. Um, and that's going to be a fantastic event also. Participating in that, we've got Nick Kronkala from Liquid Riot and Isaac Aldridge from the Pilot House at the Sabasco Harbor Inn, Matt Ginn from Evo, who actually is the reigning champ of the Maine Lobster Chef competition. So we're, pre we're pretty psyched with the lineup for that too. So you're not just bringing people from the Portland area. You're actually, your reach goes far beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we want to be representative of the main food economy. Um, you know, it's very easy here in Portland to be Portland-centric. Um, and, you know, because this is where we live and work, um, you know, it's easy to connect with these folks. But, yeah, by all means, we are more than interested in representing Maine as a state. So you have a few more days of events. <clears throat> to I know. I feel like I could go on and on and on. Um, on Saturday, our, our signature event is called Market on the Harbor. Uh, this will be, we're doing this in two sessions. And uh, for all intent purposes, it's the biggest food sampling um, opportunity there is. We'll bring together about 100 uh, food purveyors to uh, sample their products, but also to vend their products. Um, we're really excited to be partnering with Whole Foods, who will be bringing a bunch of their local suppliers in and doing a pop-up experience where you can taste and purchase the, their products. Um, you know, there are so many people doing such amazing work in the food space and not in restaurants, right? Like people who are making fantastic energy bars and amazing granola and potato chips and, you know, foods of all sorts. And we really want this to be the opportunity for them to showcase what they're doing, give people a taste and, um, and sell. 
So for people who are, say, vegetarian or gluten-free or have mm-hmm. some sort of other dietary <coughs> needs or maybe just are a little bit more picky, mm-hmm. will there be lots of options to choose from? The goal is lots, lots of options um, at, at all of our events, frankly. You know, we, we do recognize that, uh, you know, that... Uh, crafting your your culinary choices is is um you know definitely part of the food experience so we'll we'll work really hard to represent everybody um it's hard to promise that right Um, because we're really relying on a lot of people to help us execute well um but but that's our goal and what else anything else going on in your in your lineup um the only other event that i that i wanted to mention today is our chef showcase which will be our finale event on sunday and we're thrilled to have harding lee smith uh helping us out and kind of leading the charge on uh, bringing together the top chefs um around maine you know the people who really started all of this right who like put a stake in the ground and said there's something here and we're we're going to create it so this also will be um, a pretty traditional tasting event. We're also really excited to uh, have the opportunity to feature a handful of mixologists um, at this event because you know the beverage scene is equal to to the food scene, or at least growing to be equal. Um, you know, and we're we're excited to have the opportunity to showcase some of the people who are doing amazing uh, work in mixology. We've got Venus Fizz House. Um, signed on to do one of the bars they're doing they're doing pretty incredible work um, and selling a lot of local product um, also so that'll be our our grand finale event stephanie i know that one of the things that chefs in our area um, really like to focus on is helping bring food to people who maybe don't have the same access that um, maybe the festival goers harvest mm-hmm. on the harbor goers have you have a charity that you're working to support Tell me about that. So we have, um, we are uh, working hand in hand with Full Plates, Full Potential. Um, we believe strongly as to working mothers um, that eradicating childhood hunger, specifically in Maine, but also um, across the United States is is probably one of the most important things that um, that we need to do. Um, so we are thrilled to be working with Full Plates. They do. Um, really incredible work. Uh, I think. I think more than um, more than any other organization, they're really spreading the love. They work hand in hand with, um, you know, with the folks who are on the front lines to make sure that the monies are distributed in a way that really makes a difference. Um, so we're, we're we couldn't be prouder um, to align ourselves with with the work that they're doing. And you also have some great sponsor partners that have come in to help you out. Yeah, we're we're so fortunate um, to be uh, getting the kind of reception that we are from folks of of all kinds. I mean, really, there's not a person that I talk to that's not encouraged or excited about um, about what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, We're thrilled to have Bangor Savings Bank on board um, as as a partner for our sustainable seafood event. We've got... um, Whole Foods, as I mentioned, um, as a partner, we're working with Native Maine, who is a supplier to a lot of the a lot of the chefs who are participating. Um, Native Maine is is, um, is a great partner, and will be uh, will be helping us to execute it at the highest level. So, if you're someone from the Portland area or someone from away that is is looking to do just an entire weekend full of fun, mm-hmm. what would you personally envision to, to that weekend to look like? Would it be not just the festival, but also getting out into the old port, doing some shopping, heading around town? Absolutely. So we're we're actually um, thanks for bringing this up. We're actually partnering with Portland Downtown, which is. Um, 
organization uh, that is in collaboration with the city about really creating the downtown experience here in Portland. Um, We will be working with them for uh, ticket holders to have access to all sorts of shopping opportunities in town. Um, And that'll include everything from, you know, specials at restaurants to um, discounts in in shops, um, you know, maybe even tasting opportunities around town in some of the places that won't necessarily be at our events. Um, So there'll be a whole list on our website, harvestontheharbor.com. Um, of the locations around town that ticket holders will be able to um, go into and benefit from as, as part of their weekend experience. I mean, we, we hope, you know, we're taking a very pointed approach with our events, um, and we understand that not everything will appeal to everyone. And part of the you know, part of the rationale for that is that we want people in the restaurants, we want people in the stores, and we want, you know, we want people to make a weekend of it and really experience Maine outside of the Portland company. I mean, what we'll be doing will be fantastic, but there's a lot to do and, and, and see here. It seems as though the idea of a food and wine festival has really um, become more important to people really across the country and across the world. I know there are big festivals that take place in um, in Charleston, I think in Aspen, mm-hmm. in San Francisco, mm-hmm. New York. And why is it that we are so um, enamored of this idea of the Food and Wine Festival? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that it rings true in most communities is that, you know, the, the food sector, um, you know, a, and I know this firsthand from watching my husband do the work that he did. It's really hard work. It's really super hard work. And, um, you know, th- there just needs to come a, a time where the community pulls together to, um, you know, not only support, but also celebrate, um, to celebrate what, what has happened. I also think it gives us an opportunity, you know, I'm mean, Portland is very much on the national, uh, kind of food scope, right? Like the, the, um, national media, you know, we, we have the attention of national media. And I think this is just another way to showcase who we are and what we do. And, um, you know, gives Maine a voice and a, and a look and a feel that's packaged up beyond just a restaurant experience. So I'm impressed with the fact that you and Gabrielle are are just jumping into this with, with both feet, well, four feet, I guess, for mm-hmm. the two of you, um, and that you really just um, transitioned into this February. Mm-hmm. So once you've got this one under your belt, and I'm sure it's going to be very successful and everybody's going to want to go to this event in October, um, what do you envision after that? So we've been... Uh, We've been bouncing around a ton of ideas. You know, we went into this with the intention of really seeing through 2016 before we decided what it looks like um, afterwards. You know, we're learning something new every single day. Um, You know, this is no small undertaking, and it really does require a ton of people banding together to, uh, to make the vision happen. So honestly, right now, it's hard to see beyond October 23rd. Um, but we have ideas, and I, I don't know that I'm ready to share them yet, but we, we've got ideas. And, f- and for us, it's really not about, we don't want it to be about a four-day event experience, right? We, w- we want there to be an always-on presence and a way that we can support the community on an ongoing basis. And, um, you know, while we love um, the brand Harvest on the Harbor, um, <clears throat> it does feel a little restricting to... Um, a certain time of year. So 
um, you know, we, uh, again, committed to doing this for October and then have a bunch of, of ideas about how, how we'll evolve it going forward. We need to prove ourselves first, and we know that, um, and we're, we're excited to do it. Anything else you think that people who are listening might want to know? Um, I, I, just a plug, really. Um, our entire event schedule will be available on harvestontheharbor.com, uh, which is also where you can see everyone who's participating, all of the shopping opportunities. Um, you'll be able to buy tickets from there. Uh, there's a link to Full Plates, Full Potential, and, and how to get involved um, in eradicating childhood hunger, which we feel really, really strongly about. So um, everything you want to know is on harvestontheharbor.com. Well, very good. And on our show notes page, we will also have your website. So if people want to go to lovemainradio.com, we'll we'll send them in your direction. Thank you. And I know that I will see you at Harvest on the Harbor. I'm very much looking forward to this event. I think you're going to do a great job, you and Gabrielle. We've been speaking with Stephanie Manning, who, along with Gabrielle Garofalo, um, is the new producer. Both of them are the new producers of Harvest on the Harbor right here in Portland, which will take place in October. I encourage people to check out the website and go to the event and make this a great success for this year and the years to come. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine's seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, This newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Ruth Hamill, Joanne Parent, Alan Bunker, and Jean Jack. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. One of the things that I enjoy doing the most as a, um, well, I guess as a non-doctor, because I like being a doctor, I like being a radio show host, but I really like uh, working with people during events. And today I get to speak with two individuals who I'm working with in an upcoming event. Um, This is Alban Maino, who is the program director for the Center for Wellness Leadership, which is holding its 2016 Symposium on Integrative Health in Sports Practice on October 29th at the University of Southern Maine. Dr. Sarah Kotzer, who is speaking at the symposium, is a Portland-based family practice naturopathic doctor, author, and teacher. And I have both Alban, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, so you can definitely tell me if it's wrong, and also Dr. Sarah Kotzer here in the studio with me today. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning. So you are, um, pronounce your name for me now. Alban. Albon, that's right, because of the French. That's right. Because you're from France. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm definitely not perfect, although with my French background, I should have a little bit better take on the accent. How long (laughs) have you been in Maine? I've been coming to Maine for about 25 years, but I've been a resident of Portland, Maine for three years now, happily so. And you have a link to Swans Island. I do, yes. I spent most of my summers for the past three decades on Swans Island attending uh, and I had a house on Swans Island so that was a lot of fun attending the Sweet Chariot Music and Art Festival. 
which yeah. I believe that Maine Magazine will be doing an article on next I year. I saw Maine Magazine there this summer, yes, and, and some photographics, great photographics of old-time sessions were taken there, yes. Which is intriguing to you because your background is in documentary filmmaking. That's correct. Actually, I started to go to Swan's Island and to that festival in order to document it because it was extremely visual and, and since you know you cannot stay on Swan's Island the only way to get there is to actually go on boats there's no restaurant there's nowhere to stand and, and, and so the public actually arrives on beautiful schooners and the performers come and sing songs to them and I thought wow this is a documentary ready to happen but then I moved to Swan's Island and it became my family so I stopped I continued to document it for many many years but I I didn't pursue that documentary idea. <laughs> and Dr. Sarah, you have come through Maine on a different avenue, different channels. Tell me about that. I grew up in northern Vermont, and I went out west to get my naturopathic medical degree, and I thought, I'll come back to Vermont and settle in in the woods. And I got to Vermont, and I realized there were so few people, I didn't think I could make a living. So I started looking around in New England, and I was looking for a place that had a walkable downtown and little cute coffee shops and bookstores that were independent. And I drove into the downtown and I thought, this is the place. And the next day I signed a lease on a medical office space and then I had to find a place to live and sort of love at first sight. So I've been here about nine years and love Portland. So, so I'm intrigued by the work that you do as a naturopathic doctor because you're um, you're you're working in the same field that I'm working in yeah. family health yeah but you approach it from a different angle you yeah. have a lot of medical background yeah. but uh, naturopathic doctors are they have a very different set of um, classes that they take in their training that's right so naturopathic doctors are trained in the sort of current medical sciences we do human dissection we learn about anatomy and physiology and all of that but we start with the basics of the least invasive methods first with nutrition and lifestyle medicine and herbs and homeopathic remedies and physical adjustments like chiropractors do and um, mind-body medicine and we you try to use those tools before we use pharmaceutical medication and so we are also trained in the use of drugs and here in Maine we can prescribe some drugs we have a limited formulary that we can use um, but it's a great it's a great profession, and I just totally love showing up and doing what I do every day. It feels like a party. <laughs> well, few people in the medical field say it feels like a party, so <laughs> I know it, it seems like probably something people should check out from like a patient standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are about 30 naturopathic doctors licensed in Maine. We've been licensed for the last 20 years. We um, can operate as someone's primary care physician. If they don't need certain drugs, we can't prescribe, but we can diagnose and treat disease, we can order lab work, we can do physical exams and gyne exams, that sort of thing. Um, so for some people it's a perfect fit and for a lot of people they have a conventional doctor and then they have a naturopathic doctor on their team to give them feedback about how they could be eating, what supplements they might want to take, you know, a, a more alternative approach. So. It's well, I have a number of patients that also have naturopathic doctors, and yeah. it works out really well for me because I always learn from the patients. They'll come back yeah. and they'll say, my naturopathic doctor said this, this, and this, and I'll say, well, that's really fascinating. I need to learn more about that. Yeah. And it seems like it can be a really nice absolutely. collaborative it's an effort. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an exclusive thing, you know, where you can only see a naturopath and you people can't be on medications. It's a very um, blended method, so... It yeah. seems as though what you are trying to do, Alban, 
from the Center for Wellness Leadership is this integrative type of care. You, the symposium is actually called the Symposium on Integrative Health in Sports Practice. So you're trying to bring together the worlds of all the different health practices to see what you can offer to people. That's right. The Center of Wellness Leadership is a young organization, but as Sarah mentioned it during our conversation prior to here, it's 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 a world that has been uh, in motion since several decades, and and we're just newcomers here. But we felt that there was a need to raise awareness and to bring together that community uh, that has a really wide scope of practitioners. And 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 Maine is extremely rich. We have lots of incredible acupuncturists and Chinese medicine healers and naturopath and homeopath. And and we decided that we would. Um, start this organization and around three pillars, which were education, research, and, and provide resources for also the general public to understand uh, what is homeopathy. You know, it's for, for you who have been in that field for many years, uh, when we talk about osteopathy or, or acupuncture, it's something that seems very natural. Mm-hmm. But but there, I think there's a strong need for education, and, and this is why we came here. And, and we decided to launch that organization about a year ago and give it birth with uh, our main event who's coming uh, as you mentioned Lisa October 29th at USM uh, and 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 focus on something that we all do here in Maine and in the states and focus on athletic performances and and see how from the point of view of prevention but also post injuries how those alternative uh, health um, modalities can be used to prevent those injuries or to heal them quicker, mm-hmm. faster. Sarah, you're going to be speaking at the symposium. I am. Give us a little preview of what you're going to be talking about. So my colleague Nancy Frederick and I will be speaking about homeopathic medicine and its use in preventing and treating sports illness and injury. Um, one of the things that we both specialize in in our practices is the treatment of head injuries with using homeopathic remedies. and often. There, while there are things that can be done, you know, immediately after head injury from the conventional point of view, um, at, you know, if there are lingering side effects from those head injuries, there, there are not a lot of options for people. People can get put on like antidepressants because they aren't functioning the way they used to or whatever. But um, I think homeopathic medicine really has a lot to offer in terms of that. So we're really excited to share that the possibility of people living with head injuries. Um, and then using homeopathy for that. And then we're also gonna give people a sort of short rundown about, first of all, what is homeopathy and how does it work? But then, based on the types of sports people might be practicing, two or three common injuries that come along with practicing those sports, and then what remedies could be helpful for that so that if they wanna try this out at home, they can you know, use some of these natural medicines on themselves. And see, you know, we could sort of give them a little teaser about how to get started doing that so so if I were to come to you as a patient and yeah. ask you what is homeopathy and as a runner yeah what could you recommend yeah would you be able what would you give me for an answer so what is homeopathy homeopathy is a 200 year old system of medicine that was discovered in Germany by a German physician and it is basically the use of highly diluted natural substances that stimulates the body's self-healing mechanism in a very specific way. Each remedy is for a different type of injury or situation. And so a remedy that I might use in a runner who, let's say, 
you know, people who do long distance running, they overdo it, they can't stop themselves. They ne might need a remedy called Arnica, which is for overuse, you know, they, um, it's for injuries like um, if you broke a bone, it would help you heal faster, but also just for wear and tear on joints. For people, a runner who, let's say, um, says they, f they, they do a run the next day, they're so creaky and it takes them, you know, a half hour to warm up, they might need a remedy called Russ Tox, which is a remedy made from the poison ivy plant, actually. And that is a remedy that's for joints that are much better um, once they get moving. Um, and also better from applications of hot water. So when people say, oh, I'm so much better from the bath and my joints are, are better after I warm up a little bit, then rust tox is often a remedy that gets at the root cause of that and, um, and takes away those symptoms. So I've also used that actually for cases of chronic Lyme disease where people have that sort of joint problem, that rusty gait kind of, kind of joint problem, so. Well, this is interesting because I have used Arnica for patients before. It's usually bruising. That's yeah. what I think about Arnica for. Yep. It's good for that. But it can also be from surgery. It could be from, you know, a fall or a broken bone or just an overuse. Usually the person who needs Arnica feels like they fell off the back of a truck. They're just sort of like achy all over. Everything hurts. So however you get to that state, it could be helpful to, to help reverse that. It's funny you're mentioning Arnica too because Roberto Foleo, who's um, uh, an international ballet dancer that will be uh, in the panel discussion in the afternoon along with Dave Cohen's, was mentioning Arnica as one of the, whether it's in gel or in its homeopathic form, yep. as a, a natural go-to remedy yep. uh, to prepare and in for those types of injuries. So yep. we're going to be talking also about very practical ways of dealing with that from not only the practitioner and the provider uh, and healthcare provider, but also from the other hands when uh, athletes or you and I really actually need that. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, and how do you take it? And how do you take yeah, it where in? do you find it? And where do you find arnica? You can find arnica at the Whole Foods or a natural food store. Um, they're very inexpensive. A little bottle of arnica costs about seven dollars and fifty cents. So, is it reimbursed, Sarah? It depends. I think if you have a health savings account and your physician says that it's a required medicine, you can usually use your health savings account money. But I don't think an insurance company will cover your arnica. This is one of the things that we actually would like to see happening in the future with CWL's work as advocacy for, for more free healthcare and alternative ways of dealing with our health yeah. and not only the pharmaceutical companies uh, being that. So, you know, coming from France where we have sort of a free education and free healthcare, I think this is the model that we should be uh, trying to implement slowly. Yeah. And I think it's, co it's, it's coming slowly, but, but we're going to be working at it. During the Olympics this summer, I was watching with my daughters and occasionally my son, and they're all um, have been athletes or are athletes. And we saw a lot of cupping going on. Mm -hmm. We saw the little, they almost look like bruises, um, often on backs or shoulders or knees of swimmers. Um, and I was explaining to them that this is related, this is acupuncture, this is moxibustion, this is, this is these are things that are being done, which have been done for thousands of years in other parts of the world, and we're, we're bringing them now into the mainstream. That must be kind of encouraging to see when you're watching the Olympics. It's awesome. It is. We did actually, on the blog, there's, um, we just launched what, what I call the, the Media Vault journal 
on wellnessleadership.org on our website and where we where you can find all sorts of really interesting uh, approach to different modalities but also very practical and we did a blog articles about about cupping during the olympics and you're right it's 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 something that has been used for a long time i remember in all those flea markets finding old cups from the 1940s and wondered and i bought some decades ago i didn't know they were actually used but you're right and chinese medicine has been around for thousands of years and underused so this is why we're here for is to say there are so many different ways in which we can help yeah i think the thing that i like the best about the integrative approach is that it is you're offering things that people can do for themselves yeah and i think naturopathic medicine is particularly good at that because you you talk a lot about diet lifestyle homeopathy um and that's i would like to see mainstream medicine um get closer to that because I I like that approach a little bit more than come see me I'll give you a medicine yeah Um, I like it when people engage in their own care because I really think that that's ultimately how they're going to become the healthiest absolutely because if you can teach them how their body works and why it's doing what it's doing then they have more buy-in for like oh I'm exhausted because I'm not eating or I'm my digestion is off or something then they can fix that on their own it's not that they're in this passive role of I'm I'm ill and now you have to come rescue me with some high and mighty medicine or something. So yeah, it's great to see a patient learn about themselves. Alban, tell me what else we can expect to see at the symposium. Who are some of the other speakers? Well, first of all, we wanted this day to be exciting for all of us. So we made and had a really fun path. We wanted it to be interactive. And most of the speakers will come and speak for 15, 20 minutes and we'll have time to get Q&As during and after. There will be vendors. It will be really something that anyone should attend, not only uh, practitioners that want to enhance their practice or learn about new practice, but also students. I want to mention that it's free for all students and it's a very affordable uh, day for everyone who wants to attend. So go on wellnessleadership.org and you can find the whole detail. So we're going to have a crescendo uh, day. We're going to start with Dr. Schneider, uh, who's going to tell us about integrative health and what has been happening in Maine for the past 20 years. And then Dr. Gillespie, uh, who who was actually the main head uh, for the Red Claws uh, uh, physician, uh, will come and tell us about uh, how, from a very practical point of view, Western medicine was used and is used currently uh, for athletic performances. Uh, following uh, those uh, two great keynote speakers, we'll have um, Dr. Diane Aiden uh, from Natural Meg, who will come and tell us about what can transform a, an athlete into a champion, which is, I think, a really fascinating topic. And then we'll have a little coffee break. And after that, Sarah and and Nancy will come and tell us about homeopathy and then we'll lead on to some actually case studies, very short interactive case study with Dan Cass. He'll come and tell us about acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And then uh, Tom Gilson will come and tell us about osteopathy. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners are not familiar there. Lots of them probably are. And then after our uh, lunch break in the afternoon, we'll move on to a fun uh, interactive panel discussions. Dave Cohen's from the Celtics will be there. We'll have also thanks to Maine Live Events, which was incredible. I met, um, help me out, uh, the, the Luge, incredible. Uh, Julia Kluke. Julia Kluke, who accepted to come and, and will come and be a speaker as well, along with Roberto Forleo uh, for, for an hour talk and where we can get some very practical feedback from international athletes on how they use integrative health in their daily practice. That's pretty much the sense of the day. I've become interested lately in not just um, 
preventing injuries or dealing with injuries that one has, but also optimizing performance. And I think you mentioned this a little bit. Um, I know that for since Title IX, we've, women have been involved in sports more actively, and we never really realized how much the variations in um, women's cycles actually could impact what was going on athletically. And I just read a book about this, and it was really fascinating to me. And it's something that I would assume that people who are doing naturopathic medicine are, have probably paid closer to attention to for quite some time. Wow. What were the basic findings about performance and Women's cycles. Well, the interesting thing was that as the um, so as the cycle begins, you would expect that women would feel more depleted when they're out running a marathon, for example. Yeah. But really, what they're finding is once um, the hormone levels have changes and the cycle is happening, women are actually more similar to men in their performances. Okay. So that's actually not the most um, difficult time to be out running a marathon. That's cool. And I think we're fairly early on in trying to understand what um, what is. What actually does happen over the course of time with women and their hormones? But it's something that it's it's kind of like a no-brainer. Why weren't we paying closer attention to this from the very beginning? Because yeah. hormones can impact muscles and bones and joints and ligaments and yeah. all of our internal organs, our respiratory rate, our heart rate. But I think until people started to, until women really were in the mainstream doing athletics, nobody was really thinking about it That's at all. True. And also aging. That's another thing that I think we are. I think I'm fascinated by too, probably because I, like everybody, I'm aging. <laughs> you know that there are things that happen to our bones, joints, and muscles. It happened to everybody as we get older. Yeah. So how do we maximize and optimize the performance, yeah. no matter who we are, male, female, yeah. older, younger? And I'm assuming that some of these conversations at your symposium will start to touch on this. Absolutely. And and you're mentioning aging, and I thought this was a very important topic to address at all, uh, by by all means, because we all are uh, in the process of using, I mean, integrative medicine approach is, as Sarah described it, a holistic uh, uh, approach to to health in general, but it's also very related to very concrete things that we do every day, the way we eat, Mm -hmm. the way we exercise. So it's it's not... um, it's not necessarily something that's provided by a provider. You need to go and see your physician to get better. There are very simple remedies that we do apply. And as we're getting old, there are also very simple things that we can do to exercise and adapt the body. So, yes, hopefully we'll be tapping into that. I wanted to have a speaker that would come and speak specifically about that. Maybe it will be for another symposium where we can address those issues. Sarah, circling back to um, the conversation about head injuries, I'm wondering if there is a larger larger conversation that will be generated about things like dementia, which I know, Alban, you have a special interest in, Mm -hmm. um, and seizures, Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the other strokes, some of the other neurologic things that have happened, which I know that Chinese medicine has dealt with really well over the years. And I know, Alban, you've been, you had done some work with music and memory and dementia. But is there a broader application, Sarah, to the work that you're going to be, to the to what you're going to be talking about at the symposium? Absolutely. I think um, my dad actually had a stroke a couple of years ago, and so it has been a learning journey with me helping him um, regain some of his language and his functioning, and, um, and he's in his mid-70s. And it's a challenging road, but to look at him, he's sort of the case study of someone who's really in the conventional world and also... We're trying to um, keep his functioning as high as it can be, keep the quality of his life um, as high as it can be. And so, yeah, I think 
I sort of have a special interest in these sort of neurological kinds of conditions because it seems to me that, and maybe this is just my, that I don't know, but it seems to me like the allopathic approach tends to be, there's a certain limit to what can be, what's hoped for. What can you regain after you've had a stroke? What can be, what what can you get back after you've, you know, you have a seizure disorder? Oh, now you just have to be on all these medications. And I don't necessarily think that's true. And so um, I feel excited to be in a position to be able to offer another possibility. And certainly I never tell people, oh, just go get off your meds and do whatever you want. I like to work in conjunction with other physicians. It's certainly, you know, uh, it's a dance that we do, and the the patient directs that dance. But also, I, there, I think there is the potential for the for people to get themselves back after these really life threatening, life changing kinds of either injuries or accidents, you know. And that to me is exciting to share that because, man, life can be really good even after some of those things. What's your think, thinking on this, Albert? I was I was reflecting and about my own personal experience. Uh, my brother passed away when I was 20 years old from a disease that was very similar to ALS. And I was uh, involved in that palliative care approach very early on. That's what got me excited about alternative medicine because I realized that allopathic health in general didn't have any solution to take care of those people and, and, and started documenting it because I wasn't a physician myself. And, and later on, when uh, my grandmother a few years ago was affected by dementia and, and Alzheimer's, I realized that we could really have a direct impact on the well-being of people by uh, using alternative methods such as meditation. And, and, and meditation is a very easy thing to do. Uh, breathing is a very easy thing to do. And when you're affected by dementia or Alzheimer's, um, the, at whatever level it is, we can help people dream. And so I used my background as a cinematographer, as a, as a music passionate, to uh, bring together uh, those two worlds, the world of, of uh, virtual reality, to, for the lack of, of a better world, word, um, uh, using guided imagery and passive meditation, bringing back uh, the music, the sound, even the olfactory stimulation to a pathological uh, situation. And we realized very quickly, and geriatric physicians got really interested in the work that we were doing because we realized that the impact was uh, directly in correlation with uh, diminution of medication, for example, and that we were able to increase the well-being of people. And, and so we're talking about a specific pathology, but I think this can be applied to any one of us. And, and, and using integrative medicine and in, in our daily life can improve our productivity at work, our interaction with other human beings everywhere we go, and it's a natural exercise that is not very complicated to do. So, and, and, and when I discovered that a few years ago, I said, wow, this is, this is good. This is something that I can work on and help disseminate and use my domain of expertise as a storyteller to, to tell the world. I encourage people to learn more about the Center for Wellness Leadership. We will have information about the center and also the 2016 Symposium on Integrative Health and Sports Practice on our show notes page. We've been speaking with Alban Maynow, who is the program director for the Center for Wellness Leadership and also Dr. Sarah Kotzer, who is speaking at the symposium. Thanks so much for coming in today. We'll, we'll see you at the symposium. We'll see you there. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 264, Harvest and Health. Our guests have included Stephanie Manning, Alban Maino, and Dr. Sarah Kotzer. 
For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Harvest and Health show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Main Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Alby. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com. Here's an excerpt from next week's interview with Carol Noonan. Um, we had our 10th anniversary in August, so it was, it's pretty amazing. If I'd ever thought, you know, I would say Lyle Lovett and Aaron Neville would be <laughs> in my backyard, I, I would, you know, think you were crazy, but, um, but everybody else thought we were crazy, and we did do it, I guess, but it's been great. It's, it's kind of a respite for artists, which was a thing I really wanted to do. I wanted it to be special for artists and for the audience, so it's it's de- definitely different. It's it's a little frozen in time. We're not on Facebook. We're not connected socially like everybody else is. We're just kind of up there in the middle of nowhere. And when people drive up, I'm still shocked that they <laughs> they drive up the road and they come. And when the room fills up, it is kind of that. Oh my. Oh my God! What were what were we thinking, and how lucky did how lucky did we get that they actually did come? Because this could have been a really stupid idea, but but I guess. But um, I think the bigger shows that's been an that was always something I wanted to do was bring big artists to a small room, so you'd get to see them in that original way of of seeing them perform in the when they used to play small rooms and small clubs because you get to see their hands and their face and they talk to the audience in a way they don't do in a big room because you just can't so it's a very different experience to see those kinds of artists up close and it's been awesome and they they really love it and they love the the way we've made sure that they have what they need and there's nothing there so we have everything from batteries to you know anything they could need any you know rollades <laughs> you know just everywhere they go there's baskets of little pockets of things that they they might have to stop at a store for but we've got for them and we feed them like crazy and they come back and that's the whole idea mm. it is um I've been out to Brownfield, believe it or not, many times. We we used to go regularly to the the Sakopee Valley. Um, we used to go on the Saco River. Yeah, yeah. That, that was where we um, 
and and you're right there isn't really a lot out there but it was uh really very beautiful i remember it you know there's there's a lot of fields and trees and then mm-hmm. there are these bodies of water that just kind of yeah. spring up and um there's something very i don't know peaceful about it yeah in a way that doesn't seem frenetic like the coasts can be sometimes yeah and i love the coast it's it's not us versus the coast but it is it has got a um i think more people are living there year round i think the 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 just the the economy in these ta- in those rural towns versus the coastal economy it's it's different you know the the people that are coming to our place are also working in our hospitals and our stores and and our, our car I always say there's a carpenter for every tree in brownfield everybody's a carpenter everybody you know everybody that works there is that lives there is is kind of the same class too I, I think um, financially it's a people are closer in their you know in what in their income bracket than than a lot of towns in Maine there's not that extreme like some towns in Maine so it, there's a feel there that's that's kind of normal, you know, that's kind of constant. It doesn't get that changed by the by the seasons or the tourist seasons. So it's it was really important to me when I would come off the road, there would be nothing to do in the area unless we came to Portland or um, traveled. So I I often would rent. I used to rent this church nearby and do a Christmas concert, and I thought, you know. They, I can't be so great that people are coming to see me every year for this stupid thing. They're coming because there's nothing else to do. It's Saturday night, it's near the house, and they're coming. And it just made me feel like um, in rural towns you have to make your own kind of world and your own entertainment. And and they do in many ways. That's what the Grange Halls have always done and, and those kinds of places. But I, I did want to take it a step further. I wanted really great music to come up to our area in a special way. So um, I hope I've done that, and I, I think we have. But it's really become a tourist place, too. We, I would say 75% of our audience is coming from outside of Maine, which is kind of amazing. Lots of Massachusetts folks coming up for the weekend to see an artist they love in this way. So I'm hoping it it also helps the local economy. It's getting people in hotels and restaurants and that kind of thing. So hopefully it's a trickle-down place too. What type of feedback do you get from the artists who come out and perform with you? Um, they, they really love it. They, they just, it's not like any place else, and, and they... They know everybody. The artists, the big artists that have come back, remember people's names. They, they're, they're just. They have a routine. You know, when Bela Fleck comes, he, he always knows. He always says, you know, did you make the veggie chili or you know, the, like they remember the food or they remember how they're taken care of, and and they say it on stage and I think they really mean it. You know, artists always say, you know hey, we love Brownfield, you know, but there's a way that they speak about um, our place that's, that's so moving. When we had our 10th anniversary, lots of them sent us little clips and little photos and just saying, you know, we love Brownfield and we love Stone Mountain. And 
um, it's just it's they're more involved with us I think than most venues um, when Mavis Staples comes it's like our our aunt is here to visit you know and she every time she comes she calls me up on stage and I end up singing a tune with her which if if I died tomorrow that would I would have already done such a great thing in my life and that would be it that would be like the thing you just okay I'm good <laughs> I can go now because singing with her and and being involved with her and she'll come out on stage and and say hi to everybody and and thank everybody and remember my mom and remember my sisters that were only there a couple of times when she was there and you know so it's it's a very personal experience for the artists when they come to us um, they talk about it a lot we hear other artists that come see us for the first time say we've been hearing about this place for a year we've been on the road and that's all we ever hear about so that's great thank you for listening to love main radio we hope you can join us for next week's program.